Well, thank you, Lauren and the team. What a privilege it is to worship this morning um, and gather in the house of the Lord. The Psalms say, uh, I was glad when they said to us, let us go to the house of the Lord. So I hope you're glad this morning. I'm happy to be here. Uh, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14. Uh, we are going to begin our new series, as Daniel said, in the month of June, where we study the parables of Jesus. And uh, I don't very often get to kick off a series. Sometimes I jump in in the middle. A lot of times I finish series. Uh, so I'm, I'm leading this one off. So I'm excited to do that this morning. And it's always good to spend time in the four Gospels. It's always time to uh, learn from the words of Jesus and read them and study them. And so let's turn our attention now to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're going to read quite a bit. We're going to focus on a little bit. Uh, but we'll begin reading in Luke chapter 14, verse 1. We're going to read all the way through verse 24. Uh, but we'll spend the majority of our time in verses 16 through 24. So uh, by now, it'll be on the screens if you don't have it. But it, by now, you may have found your place. Luke chapter 14, verse 1. Dr. Luke writes, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. Then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, that you, uh, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there's still room and the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is God's word. You ever been to a party or a dinner that suddenly got tense? You're sitting around having a good time and then someone brings up a topic or an idea that makes everyone uncomfortable? 
Or perhaps there's someone at the party that kind of commands everyone's attention and you can't take your eyes off that person because they're, they're saying and doing things that just demand your attention. Well, that's what's going on here. Jesus had been invited to a dinner party at an important person's house, a ruler of the Pharisees. Now, we, we know that the Pharisees as a group hated Jesus because he always challenged their hypocrisy. He always called out their corruption. He always highlighted their misunderstanding of the law. But nevertheless, he was invited to eat with them because Jesus was popular among the people as a teacher, and the Pharisees would never pass up a chance to dine with somebody who could improve their own social status. As always, they were skeptical of Jesus, and Luke tells us that they were watching him carefully. Being the Sabbath, a day in which no work was to be done, a man with dropsy was there, and lots of scholars and lots of commentators think that the the Pharisees brought this guy, uh, because this is kind of a gathering of the who's who, right? It's a bunch of Pharisees and lawyers sitting around at at a leader of the Pharisees' house, and here's this crippled man. And he's there, and a lot, of Pharisee, a lot of commentators think that he was a plant so that they could trap Jesus to see what Jesus would do on the Sabbath. And this is the third time, this will be the third time in the New Testament that uh, the Pharisees have seen Jesus heal on the Sabbath. So they know what he's going to do, but they still try to trap him anyway, not realizing they can't trap him. So, of course, Jesus heals the man, and he asks the Pharisees if it's lawful to do so. He asks them a question about saving their ox or their son on the Sabbath, and they have no response. The tension in the room starts to mount. People start to mumble to each other. The Pharisees are again shown not to be as wise or as pious as they think they are. I can imagine that there was an awkward silence as uncomfortable looks started to be shot around the room at one another. And then Jesus begins to talk. And he noticed how the guests at the dinner were arranged. And Luke tells us, and from also what we know of the Pharisees, we can be safe in assuming that they arranged themselves according to how important they thought they were. Jesus told them a parable. And then, after he told that parable, he got in the face of the host of the dinner and admonished the host. And then he told another parable to follow that one up so he could teach people about the kingdom of God and the kind of people who would fill it. So Jesus... Being that they're at a dinner party, being the setting is a party and a banquet, Jesus, the master teacher, uses the opportunity to set his parables against the backdrop of feasts and banquets. It's an immediate, applicable object lesson. They can all relate. They're all there. And he's telling this to Pharisees. Can you imagine what that host had to be thinking? It's like, man, it's like, I just wanted to throw a party for my friends, and, you know, I invited you, and here you are, you're insulting me. He probably looked around at the dinner guests after Jesus said this to him, and he, he, he saw all of the Pharisees there, those who thought they were the best of the best, he probably looked at Jesus trying to think of a response, because in just a few sentences, Jesus had offended everyone in the room, the guest as well as the hosts, the host. And we can say a lot about Jesus, but we can never say he was indirect. Then in verse 15, someone tries to cut the tension. Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom. Now, perhaps this guy was trying to justify himself, saying, hey, I'm not like those other people. I'm one of the good ones. I'll eat bread in the kingdom because I care about these other people, and, and, and I do the things you're talking about. So perhaps he was just trying to, 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 to virtue signal. Perhaps he was trying to lighten the moment with some comic relief. Perhaps this might have been even the host who was trying to even just respond to what Jesus had said. It, it wasn't a very profound statement, blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of heaven. But regardless, it's a turning point in this scene Because you see, those at the dinner thought that their external righteousness would guarantee them a place in the kingdom. They were the Pharisees who, in their own minds, thought that they deserved the best seats of honor 
on earth and in the kingdom. And they were the ones who thought because of who they associated with and because of how they presented themselves, they thought they would be blessed to eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus was about to teach them a lesson, a difficult lesson, about the kingdom and about their own self-righteousness. And so beginning in verse 16, Jesus begins to tie all, these, all of these things together. And he introduces three types of people and how they relate to the kingdom of God. And I want to look at those this morning. Now, y'all have heard me preach long enough. You knew I was going to have three points, right? So here we go. The first type of people that Jesus introduces are the invited. Verses 16 through 20. But Jesus, he, Jesus, he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, I must go out and see it, please have me excused. Another said, I've bought a five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them, please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I can't come. So just a practical point of explanation here. In the first century, in, in Jewish culture particularly, it was customary for two invitations to be given. Um, there, there's a lot of writings talking about someone would never even think about attending an event unless they were invited twice. And the first invitation, we're, we're kind of familiar with that idea. It's kind of the save the date. Like, hey, I'm, there's going to be this big thing, and, and, and I'm inviting you. But unlike our save the date, you were expected to respond to the save the date. Okay, So the first invitation would go out. The guest would respond. They were expected to respond to both invitations. They could decline, you could decline an invitation, but to decline an invitation to an event, you had to decline the first invitation, and then you wouldn't get a second invitation. To accept a first invitation and to decline the second invitation would have been an insult to the host, and it would have been an absolute egregious breach of etiquette. You would have been blacklisted from you know, ever attending a, an important event probably ever again. So Jesus tells this parable to his dinner guests, to, the, to these guests, and, and the invitation goes out. People accept. The banquet is prepared and made ready. The second invitation goes out and everyone backs out. They all start making excuses. And, and the reasons of these excuses are laughable. Few people would buy land or buy livestock without seeing them first. But, but even if they did, they could still go see the livestock or the land after the banquet. They'd still be there. The one who had just gotten married, he probably should have brought his wife with him to enjoy the banquet as a good date night. The point of the excuses, a lot of people, there's, there's, there's just volumes written on what these excuses mean, and I don't think we need to read too deeply. The point of the excuses, they're ridiculous. They're just ridiculous excuses. No one who was invited to this banquet had good reason to not go, other than the fact that they simply didn't want to. But look closer. As is often the case with Jesus, as is always the case with Jesus, the way he taught, there's a deeper truth he's getting at than simply showing the cultural rudeness of those who were invited. The first two excuses are about possessions. Those who were invited valued their possessions more than they wanted to go to the banquet. The excuse of the newlywed was about affections. This one should have been honored and brought his wife to the banquet, but he put her above the honor of enjoying the banquet with her. And the point of all three of these excuses is that we find the focus of those who were invited being in the wrong place. Now, it's not necessarily, I'm not necessarily saying that it's a bad thing of what they made their excuses about. Indeed, having land and livestock and a, and a spouse are, are excellent things. They're great things. I have one of the three of those, and I'm really happy about it. I want some land. So if anybody's looking to sell, I can't afford it, but I want some land. 
But however, these people had already responded to the first invitation. They knew the banquet was coming. They had been invited. They had responded. They were looking forward to it. But then when the event came, and here it goes, when the event came, it failed to meet their expectations of what they thought the banquet should be. Instead, they clung to what they valued most rather than what had been offered to them. Now, remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to Pharisees and lawyers. These are people who have learned and studied the law of God. They knew God's word. They knew the Old Testament. Pharisees had memorized the first five books of the Bible. They knew what the Bible said. They kept the law so rigorously that they couldn't even respond to a question of whether or not they would even pull their own son out of a ditch if he fell into it on the Sabbath because they were afraid they'd be breaking that law. Not only did they have the law, but they also had the writings of the Old Testament that recalled and magnified the work of God to preserve and prosper his people. They also had the prophets who told of the coming Messiah, the anointed one who would ultimately and finally save his people and be a great light to the people living in darkness. Jesus' parable was much more Jesus' parable was about much more than just etiquette and social norms. You see, when God gave the law to his people, when he inspired the Old Testament writers, when he foretold of the Messiah through the prophets, he had given the first invitation to his banquet. He had effectively said through his word that he was preparing a great feast that would be realized in the coming of the Messiah. The Pharisees and the lawyers accepted this first invitation, looking forward to the promised Messiah, obeying the law to an extent that they thought that their own efforts and self-righteousness would earn them favor in the kingdom. That they would purchase for themselves seats of honor with their exterior good works, but the second invitation wasn't what they were looking for. They weren't expecting Jesus They had other ideas of what the banquet should be like, other ideas about the kingdom, other ideas about what kind of Messiah they wanted. So when Jesus came and and, and, and began to teach that the kingdom had now come and that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament and and that everything was fulfilled in him, those who had received the first invitation rejected the second invitation. They made all kinds of excuses. They wanted nothing to do with the banquet that didn't meet their expectations and so they refused to come. They wanted the promises of God to be theirs, but they had no interest in the God who made those promises and in whom those promises are fulfilled. You see, the Pharisees loved their possessions of self-status and self-righteousness. Instead of loving, instead of having affections for the God who gave them the law, they had affections for their own effort to obey the law so they could earn God's favor. They had it completely backwards. They believed that they deserved to be at the banquet, but wanted to do so on their terms rather than those of the master of the house. Perhaps they thought they weren't offered a high enough position at the banquet table and that their behavior could buy them a better seat. Again, with the self-honor. So they insulted the master and rejected the offer to come. Now, what about you? Have you heard the words of God in the Bible? Have you read his promises? Have you accepted his invitation to the great banquet on his terms? You see, the real reason people reject the offer and think that other things are like, like possessions and misplaced affections are more important than attending the master's banquet is that we have no appetite for heavenly things unless God gives us one. We'll naturally and always return to what we think is valuable, rejecting what is most valuable. John 3.19 says that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. But there's nothing better than Jesus. 
There's nothing better than his kingdom that he brought and will ultimately consummate in his second coming. There's nothing better than dining with him at his table. What we value most on this earth, even good things like possessions and affections and family and friends and status and wealth and prestige and security, none of that comes close to what the king can offer us. So if you hear the first invitation to the feast, don't reject the second in Jesus. The light is better than the darkness. Hold up the empty hands of faith. Receive the offer to dine at the banquet. Receive the offer of eternal life and enjoy the feast. Now, I could probably stop there. We could sing and pray, but I've written two more points, and I'd like to preach them to you. So the second type of people that Jesus introduces are the unclean. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. So when Jesus was admonishing the host of the party, um, he said to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And as we said before, Jesus is being both literal and spiritual here. Jesus is concerned for the materially poor and the physically blemished. And as Christians, we should also care about them. We are not too good or too holy or too clean to associate with those who have nothing and can give us nothing. There is verse after verse after verse talking about how caring for the poor and the sick pleases God and how we as his followers are commanded to do so. But we know that's the, tr that's the truth, but this is not what Jesus is talking about in this parable. It's not the point he's making in this parable. The point Jesus is making in this parable is that in the kingdom of God, it's not only those who are outwardly clean who have a seat at the banquet. The Pharisees were notorious for their outward appearances. They presented themselves as the most holy, the most pure, the most serious, and Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. They looked great on the outside, but inside they were full of rot. In Matthew 15, Jesus says that it's not what goes into a person that defiles him, but what comes out. And what came out of the Pharisees was vile. Now, what about these poor, these crippled, these blind, these lame? What, what have they to offer? Why would the master bring them to the feast? Well, we know if we read our Old Testament, and it's important to read and understand and study the Old Testament because it's impossible to understand the New Testament without the Old Testament, so if we read and understand the Old Testament, we know in Leviticus 21 that those who were lame or sick and otherwise physically compromised were not permitted to be in the camp with the other people who were healthy. It was for many reasons, mainly for disease spread, but uh, suffice it to say that certain ailments excluded someone from full participation in society and the ability to worship in the tabernacle or the temple. And because people like this were barred from society, they were very often poor and had little means to take care of themselves. So they couldn't buy themselves better accommodations. They couldn't pay for better standing. They couldn't advance because they had nothing to offer. They were unclean and undesirable. And if we contrast these kinds of people with the kinds of people who made excuses for not attending the banquet, the differences are stark. The invited people, they own land and they own livestock and they were married, which meant that they were able to function in society and be around others. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, they had none of that. They were destitute. And these are the very people who were brought into the banquet. They were chased after. They were pursued. The servant went after them, and they were wanted and desired. 
Those who battled for prestige and position, who thought they could buy themselves the best seat in the house by their own works, were displaced by those who would never have dreamed they would even be invited. They didn't have the means to get there and were brought in only by the master's good graces. Those that the feast was made for didn't want it, so it became the inheritance of people who never dreamed of attending. And this builds on everything in chapter 14 thus far. That's why we started in verse 1. Because these poor, these sick, they're not necessarily the physically poor and sick, although they may be. Rather, they're those who have nothing to offer spiritually. Unlike those who think that they should get the best seat and deserve to be at the banquet in the place of honor, the poor are now welcomed in their place. The proud are being humbled, and the humbled are being exalted. Those who think they belong, who think it's their right to attend, those who think they have something to offer, those who think they can decide whether or not the banquet is worthy of them, will find the door closed to them. But those who never dreamed that they'd even have a chance to see a banquet like this find themselves welcomed in and seated at the table. I wonder what would happen if Jesus invited you to his banquet. What would your response be? Would it be something like this? Would it be something like, you know, Jesus, your offer sounds pretty good. Let me think over my options and see if there's anything better. I'll get back to you. Let me make sure my affairs are in order and let me weigh the costs against the benefits of joining your team. You know, after all, you'd be pretty lucky to have me because I, I do have quite a bit to offer you. I'm very serious about doing everything right and I, I take great pride in what people think of me and I, I'll maintain my best outward appearance at all costs. Maybe if I decide to come to your banquet, you'll even reward me with a good seat. You know, next to the other important people. Thanks for the invite. I, I'm definitely interested and I'll get back with you soon. Or would your response be, you want me to come to your banquet? You, you do know that I'm poor and I can't return the favor, right? You, you do know that I'm crippled and I can't even hold my own fork, right? You do know that I'm blind and I won't be able to find my seat at the table. You know that I'm lame and so you'll, you'll have to lead me around. But if you want me to come, I'll be there. I just have nothing to offer you except all of my mess. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's full of broken, empty, unclean outcasts who have nothing to offer the master other than an acceptance of his offer. He's calling you to his banquet today if you're poor, crippled, blind, and lame enough for him. And get this, he won't leave you that way. He'll give you brand new clothes. We read in Matthew that the wedding, the wedding clothes are put on these guests and he'll clean you up, and he'll heal your spiritual blindness and your lameness, and he'll make you new. You'll be a new creation for whom there is now no condemnation, and you will feast with him forever. And then the third type of people Jesus introduces are the afterthoughts. I was joking with Lauren, it sounds, it sounds like a name for a band. And the servant said, verse 22 through 24, and the servant said, Sir, what, do you, what, what you commanded has been done, and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. I didn't know what to call this group of people. I kind of went back and forth with what I was going to do this third point as. Um, but as I stared at these verses, afterthoughts kind of seemed to fit. And here, here's why I call them that. So people who lived 
in the highways and in the hedges, and we'll take a time out and acknowledge we're all thinking about, oh, brother, where art thou, and the old folk, folk song, say, so distraction over, right? So the, the people who lived like this were on the fringes of society, okay? These, these, are, these are not necessarily the same kind of poor and broken and destitute of the, uh, as the unclean. One commentator said that these are the kinds of people, the people who kind of live like this were, were those who likely had no home of their own. They were very often probably shady characters and they liked to frequent brothels and shady inns and roadhouses. And some of them may have even lived in the wilderness, in the woods, if you could find woods in the Palestinian desert, but the wilderness. You could say that the master sent his servant to Skid Row it's the end of society. The point is, people like this really were afterthoughts to most people, especially to the Pharisees who thought they were too good. They, they didn't want to be around people like that because they, be, they would be corrupted. No one ever cared for the afterthoughts. So in Jesus' parable, the master sends his servant to these very types of people. The afterthoughts are now the invited. The outlaws are now the honored the dirty are now the dignified. And it's interesting that Luke uses the word compelled when he, when, when he, when he says that these people are invited to the banquet. Now, they're compelled by the servant. I, I don't think we need to read too much into that other than the fact that these are the kinds of people that would have had to be convinced that the invitation was even real. Is there even a banquet? And do you really want me to come? If the unclean would have looked out of place at a banquet, the afterthoughts would have looked like they were from a different planet. So they needed to be compelled to come in. And are we any different? If we really understand how much we don't belong at the king's table, would we assume that we should be there? If you guys knew the thoughts that went through my head this morning on the way to church, you would say, why is he preaching? If we really understand his holiness and our sinfulness, could we say we deserve to be at the banquet on our own merit ever? Don't we also need to be compelled to come in, convinced that God really wants us? Can we really believe that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? You see, those who thought they, believed, that they belonged and fought each other for the best seats saw their places go to the unclean and go to the afterthoughts. Those that no one would have ever believed would even get to see a great banquet are now invited welcome guests. And then in verse 24, the parable stops being hypothetical when Jesus says, for I tell you, none of those men shall taste my, ban my banquet so Jesus frequently used this phrase, I tell you, or truly I tell you, so he could demonstrate his authority over his church and his kingdom, and he does that here. And he does so to say that those who reject the invitation to the banquet will never taste it. Those who say yes to the first invitations of God's promises, but no to the second invitation of God's son will never have a place. They will never taste life. The master desires his house and his banquet to be filled, and he will fill it with the kinds of people who understand their need for him. No one will be missing, and all of his people will have a seat. So as the writer of Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you're unclean, if you're poor, if you're crippled, if you're blind, if you're lame, 
Even if you think you're an afterthought and have messed up your life so bad that you'll be forever an outcast, the Lord Jesus invites you today to his great banquet. There's room at the king's table even for you. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. We invite our band up and our ushers forward as we pray. Father, we thank you for the invitation, Lord, in your word that you have sent a savior, um, that you have sent and initiated your kingdom. Lord, we, we want to accept that invitation and Lord, we also accept the invitation of your son who fulfills that. Lord, I pray that anyone here who has not done that, Lord, will, will do that today, will hold up the empty hands of faith and receive all that you wish to give them. Thank you for inviting us, the poor and the blind and the crippled and the lame and the unclean and the outcast who have no merit to be at your banquet other than the fact that you are gracious and merciful and you have allowed us in by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, let us taste your goodness. Let us see that you're good. And Lord, we also ask you to bless these tithes and offerings for the furtherment of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.